I was going to say it's been so long since we did these. We did one last week. I'm just, I'm, you know what it is, right? So I've just finished three days of leave. And so my brain's not switched on properly. My brain is very like, everything is chill. I don't need to be able to think. I'm just relaxing, you know? Yeah, nothing matters. Nothing matters at all. Exactly. So if this is hard, I'm really not looking forward to work tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's, it's always painful. I, I took two weeks off earlier this year as sort of like a spitting the dummy, mm-hmm. can't do this anymore kind of break. I'd, I'd actually bought tickets, plane tickets to go back to Perth and then, you know, as is the uh, state of affairs of 2021, I wasn't allowed to go back to Perth anymore. So I thought, ah, uh, I'll just soldier through it. I'll just do the work. And I remember this one distinct moment of just sitting there in front of my computer screen, staring out the window on a, a day that I had kind of prearranged to have been going, uh, uh, hang on, this is and leave since I started at this company at the start of the year. I took one day to go to my partner's graduation. And that was it. Like, I just, I just, you know, it was like, well, it's COVID. I can't go anywhere. I'm just going to keep working. And I like got to this point where it was like, actually, I should just take some leave to just like have a break. I'm not even like, you know, I was saying earlier, the most exciting thing I did was like, I went to the zoo and then I went to a cinema. That's like the exciting things I did, but just to like have the time to switch off and relax was fantastic. And you're absolutely right. Yeah. I actually, I didn't even bother telling myself I was going to get projects done, really. But, like, I edited last week's podcast earlier today, uh, which is not great. That's well behind when I would normally try and edit it. <laughs> and, you know, like, normally I would try and edit over the weekend or maybe a little bit before. We recorded Tuesday or Wednesday, I think, last week. Tuesday, Wednesday, one of those days. And it just sat there and, like, I was on leave and I looked, probably could have found time. I was just like, I just... Just I'm enjoying relaxing and got to Wednesday afternoon. I was like, okay, I need to actually edit this because we're recording tonight. So I need to get that one out before we record the next one. Yeah, it's at some point, I guess things have, have got to get done. It, it's so hard to put yourself back into the zone though. Uh, after, after I took that two weeks off, I was complete mush for mm-hmm. like a, a month almost. Yep. And just being like, I'm not ready to go back. Just one more <laughs> week, one more week. <laughs> Don't make me. I always found that even more so in school and university because the break, like the summer break's so long that having to go back at the start of like the new year after you've been off for like, like in high school, it's like two, two and a, two months. And in uni, it's often like three or more, three and a half months. It's like trying to switch back onto like study mode. It's like, wait, what? Yeah, right. So well, you're doing a, well, did a relatively difficult thing at uni, right? Like, you, you had to actually do work for uni. Is that correct? Yeah. Like, I did an arts degree for most of my time at uni, so... So, no. Not, not super hard. No, not really. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I went to film school, and that's just like... I mean, put it this way, we would be at the uni tavern drinking with the tutorer, and eventually the tutorer would look down <laughs> his watch and be like, oh, class started 20 minutes ago. I guess <laughs> I guess I'd better go. Uh, this one's really boring, so don't bother, guys. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. So oh. my my uni was the 
it was like a steady fade in and out between break and and uni time. So sure, okay, it was easy to get into the hang of it. My my uni experience was not quite that relaxed. Yeah, okay, <laughs> like it was an arts degree, but like still, you know, don't do film, kids. It's not good for you. <laughs> uh, so when you say film school, like filmmaking or like film literature and analysis? Uh, f- filmmaking. It was a it was yeah, a practical right. course. I, I got kind of gypped though because uh, it was uh, I was the first year that um, so the the course used to just be film school like you'd go and just do film a hundred percent of your time and it was kind of sure uh, the campus was joined with like a performing arts thing so you'd have all the resources of the actors and musicians yeah, and all this kind yeah, of stuff yeah, yeah. and you'd be hanging out with these people. Where was this? Uh, this is this was in WA at uh, okay cool Edith Cowan University because Edith Cowan has Whopper right yes yeah 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 well, they're they're on the same uh, campus and so this this yeah. film school was sort of like adjacent to that but my cohort was the first time where they had gotten rid of the dedicated film school and just kind of like amalgamated it into this weird creative industries thing. Mm. And so you had to do all of these compulsory units that sort of had nothing to do with anything. Mm-hmm. And you only spent a quarter of your time doing film. And and because you, you know you know when you're like 17, 18 and you're like, "Oh, I I know what I want to do. Screw screw the world. I'm going to become a movie director or something." And you sort of like just say bollocks to everything so i I just kind of all of these compulsory units and non-film stuff i just i didn't take it seriously at all i just (laughs) i just dicked around the whole time yeah yeah i i I definitely wasn't uh mature enough to make the most of it that's for sure yeah that's interesting i I I think that's true of like most uni frankly like the thing i've realized having finished uni right is that 18 you are not old enough to like fully appreciate university let alone like accurately pick the thing you want to study for the rest of your life and like it's you're so young at 18 well so here's my theory when you're 18 you're really good at knowing what you want to do but you're really bad at knowing what you don't want to do yeah <laughs> if if that makes any sense i uh, like it, it i got about halfway through the second year of the course when i sort of realized like ah oh, i don't actually like any of this and mm-hmm. i i just had these like uh, weird ideals about the possibilities of working in the film industry and i didn't actually mm-hmm. understand it because I like I genuinely wanted to do that. I, I was pumped for particularly script writing. Yep. You know, I was sitting there at home in a typewriter on a Friday night, just clacking away because <laughs> I loved it. Right. Yeah. Did you actually have a typewriter? I I did have a typewriter actually. I I used it more as like a uh, change of of space than sure. like sitting there being a, a hipster yeah <laughs> but i was gonna say like to clarify you are young enough that laptops did exist and were common at the time that you were at uni oh yeah very i so i actually uh saved up way too much money and i bought 
the like top of the range MacBook Pro at the time that was like wow. four grand or some something stupid. And uh, yeah, well, because I I was thinking like yeah, I'm gonna be using it for editing stuff and taking uh-huh. projects between uni and home and and all that kind of stuff. So no, I, I definitely I definitely had all that, but it was like when you spend ages at your computer or ages in front of your notebook or whatever you sort of get into habits of workflow and and particular kinds of ideas you come up with and so i guess having like a typewriter was just like one different way to write so that if you get writer's block or if you're just kind of bored with what you're doing you can just kind of shift into that space and and like i don't know no that makes sense I think that's something that anyone who works in a creative industry or has not even necessarily worked, but just like dabbles in or has, is, is interested as a hobby will understand is that, yeah, sometimes the best way to like get around writer's block is you just have to change something about it, about what you're doing. For sure. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I was big on writing and I was genuinely under the impression that that's where I was going to go with my life. And it wasn't until I'd gained a bit more life experience that I realized that there were a whole bunch of things about it that I didn't actually like. <laughs> and so, uh-huh. and so, yeah, like I, I kind of feel like when, when you're, when you're young, it, people have this idea where it's like, oh, you got to choose what you want to do and we're not ready because you don't know what you want to do. And yeah, I, I honestly feel like when you're young, you, you do know what you want to do. You just don't know how implausible or like all of the the mm. actual work <laughs> the stuff that's not fun right yeah for sure i think i think the thing is like you know what interests you perhaps but you don't actually know how that translates to a career and part of that is because you don't know what careers exist like i, I think the average 18 year old actually just doesn't know what the majority of jobs that exist in the world and the fields are because we aren't really taught them Mm. Yeah. You know, like, I, I could tell you that, like, oh, your basic, like, firefighter, doctor, lawyer, like, f- filmmaker, I guess, actor, like, you know, the, the sort of basic ones, like, tradies, that sort of thing. Like, but I couldn't have told you about, like, my job now. I didn't know that was a thing. Like, there's so many different, like, industries that we just don't even know exist, I think, as 18 year olds. Yeah. And you kind of tend to just fall into things, for, for lack of a better term. Like, obviously, you mm-hmm. have to have uh vision and you have to try and you have to you know do do the work to get yourself ready for things but you uh, most people i know kind of are not where they thought they were going to be earlier it's kind of always in a related field like i i guess on in some level the job that i have now i'm still writing you know even if it's just crappy pub trivia and jokes and stuff and like little mm. comedy ideas but it's 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 still writing but yeah funnily, like if you had have said to me when i was when i was 18 hey you're gonna be writing pub trivia as your job i would have been like that sounds awful <laughs> i don't want to <laughs> do that <laughs> and is it awful uh it's not it's not it's funny because because i i don't like i don't like pub trivia at all i I think it's stupid (laughs) 
Like you don't like the trivia, or you don't like the entire experience. Uh, I I don't I don't really dig the generic pub trivia experience. I think the reason why I like what I'm doing is because the particular kind of nights that we put on are a lot more left of field, and they're just kind of like sure. In, instead of being like a pub trivia night, it's like all the punters are um, on a game show, right? Yeah, I like that a lot more than generic trivia. Like. Yeah, and, and so I, I guess there's a lot of it that I find fun in exploring that space. Mm-hmm. And I think as well, there's such a big difference, particularly in creative areas between like participating in something and then actually doing it. Oh, yeah. Like, for example, with music, right? Uh, I've I've always been obsessed with music. It's my number one love. I need it <laughs> to, to survive, to play music. But I don't really care about listening to music that much. I do. Interesting. Uh, it's like a, an activity that I partake in there's records and there's uh songs that i love and i will you know experience flow state listening to them or whatever but like i i will pick up a guitar and noodle around with it uh 99 times out of 100 before putting on a song on spotify in in the background Mm -hmm. and and i i think it's kind of the same thing with pub trivia where it's like i guess the process of making it is interesting and entertaining. Whereas for me, <laughs> the being on the other side is just like a total snore fest. And I can't think of it's, it's sort of like how they say golf is a way to ruin a good walk. <laughs> it's like pub trivia is just like a way to ruin being at the pub. <laughs> yeah. So the thing I think of, right, is when I was younger, my parents and I would do, like, the weekend quizzes in the paper, right? And it's the same sort of generic, like, general knowledge trivia, basically. And if pub trivia resembles that at all, it is failing. Like, I'm not interested in... I'm not there for the, like, general knowledge trivia. And I, I know some people are really into trivia, and they are there to compete, and, like, they want to win the, you know, $20 beer voucher or whatever it is, right? Like... Some people, they, they want to win, and that's, like, part of the joy. But for me, at least, it's, like, I am I would be there to hang out with my mates and drink, and then if there's extra entertainment and wackiness going on, that's cool. But I don't want to feel like I'm being tested, you know? Yeah, that's it. That's it. You've, you've finished work. You've clocked off, and you don't want to feel like you're back in high school, <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. Sitting in exam, it's just like, no, 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 no. You, you want to drink and, and look at people stacking it on skateboards and stuff on, on the screen. Yeah, I'm much, I'm much more interested in watching one of my mates drink some drink with, like, something horrific in it than, like, getting a scorecard on how many questions I got right. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I think that atmosphere definitely makes it a lot more tolerable for me to, to work in. Um, and then, of course, like... Okay, because I, I kind of, like I was saying, I got into it by accident, really. Mm. How did you get into it? So so being a musician, you have no money and lots of time. <laughs> and Yes. Uh, I, I needed work. And we, so me, uh, uh, Leonard, who is also in the faction, and um, a couple of other people had moved over from Perth. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, we started going to these nights, you know, as something to to do because we're new. And after a while, people were saying, "Oh, you should you should give it a go. You should give it a like try hosting." So I spoke to the guy running it, and he said, "Okay, I'll, I'll give you a shot. You've had experience on the microphone and stuff like that through through music. So um, how bad can it be?" So I was doing that for a bit, <laughs> and then uh, I, I got into this. So I was working at a market research call center. I also had another job at a video shop, and I also was doing shifts at a museum doing. Uh, more kind of like, uh, actually, as an aside, that that job was kind of cool. My my role was to like pick someone as they walk into the museum and follow them around and like record where they go and how long they spend <laughs> at things. But they're not allowed to know that I'm doing that because otherwise it will influence their like trip to the museum. Okay, sure. So I would have to kind of be like a spy going through all the exhibits and stuff without them knowing. That's awesome. That's incredible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, pretty ridiculous. Uh, uh, you know, obviously that's the glamorous uh, thing of, of the job. A lot of it was really boring. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so I was doing that as well. And I had this weird moment where the video store closed down. I just had a really long run of almost no shifts at the museum. And uh, the call center job i was doing was just like absolutely soul destroying and i couldn't bring myself to do you know many shifts yeah yeah and so i was legitimately hawking instruments off on facebook and on gumtree to help pay the bills because i was destitute Mm -hmm. and the the boss who runs the trivia company uh, hits me up on Facebook chat and he's like, "Don't do that. That's ridiculous. Come and come and write a few questions for me. I'll give you fifty bucks or whatever." Yep. And so I did that, and they went okay. And so I came in and did a few more, and then he got me to like do some photoshopping because I learned how to use Photoshop at you know um, to a really basic level at uni. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then sort of got doing more and more and it just sort of like eventually morphed into me just making everything for for the shows and at some point he's like sure yeah you're kind of like doing 20 25 hours for this every week so why don't we just make that your job and i was like yeah i mean i guess that sounds okay yeah that sounds good yeah better than being on the street so yeah that's how i became a a a trivia guy, which I hate to say out loud. Yeah. <laughs> so to clarify, you work for a trivia company. It was Funky Bunch? Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. You know, throwing out that free advertising um, for all of our many, many <laughs> listeners. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sponsorship coming soon. Yeah. So, and I know Funky Bunch do... There's a there's several pubs around Melbourne, Australia. Yeah, so it is it is international technically. Oh, uh, we so New Zealand. Uh, <laughs> so actually, our our New Zealand venues have that have obviously you know 2020 things got pretty weird. 
So we don't yes. have anything in New Zealand anymore, but we do still have a few venues in the UK. Oh, wild. So still technically international, but it's all, it's all over Australia, uh, mainly sure. Victoria and Queensland. But Sure. So I guess the point I was coming to was these pubs all use like the same questions each night, uh, each week rather. Yeah. Right. So you're basically writing a new set of questions every week. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the whole idea. Is that it's like a full show, um, and in the same way that uh, if you imagine any game show, they have the same segments at the same time, like in the same formula yeah. every single week. Sure. And so we have exactly that going on, where there are particular reoccurring game questions, and and the subjects of all the rounds of this, uh, you know, like yeah, one's yeah. always movie and TV. Two is always sport, three general knowledge, etc. Yeah. And so people sort of like uh, build that familiarity with it and yeah. it, it becomes like a, like, yeah, tuning into watching The Price is Right or whatever. <laughs> you, mm-hmm. you get into that habit. And yeah, so, so we make up essentially one show, but it gets turned into all these different versions to suit different states like they hate afl in queensland so we can't have any of that sure sure and obviously making stuff for the uk you got to get rid of all of the things with australian dollars and and you know asking about australia specific stuff yeah yeah so each week we kind of have like a new shell and that gets sent out to all the hosts and i think think it's like 50 or 60 hosts and you know some of them just have one pub that they go out and some of them are pretty hardcore and they host it like you know two or three pubs every single week and then on top of that there's all like the private shows and corporate functions and stuff all that boring stuff mm-hmm. but yeah uh, it's it, it's no, it's no secret we we do basically have one show and people people always say oh so i could go to this funky bunch night on monday and then go to a different pub on wednesday and I'll know all the answers. And I say, like, I mean, yeah, but with your team of, of five other people, you're putting in, like, eight hours of six people's time to win, like, carton of beer. <laughs> yeah. That, that's Go for it. <laughs> that sounds like a terrible idea, but do that if you want. If you really want to put in hours and earn that carton of beer, like, I can get you a job at McDonald's. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, It'll, exactly. You'll earn more. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Also, like, you know, the secret of trivia, right, is that it's an entertainment thing. So, actually, if that means that we get six more people going to a trivia night, that, like, that's, that's, yeah, that's good for us. You're going to go to the pub and, and buy their beer, which, is you know, keeps us in business. This just sounds great. Like, yeah, great. Ev- everyone's want, winning. <laughs> yeah, you want to go two nights of trivia a week? Sick. Please do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like, good, you found the loophole. Good job. Yep. Yeah, and... Really fooled us. It's it's crazy. Like, this Funky Bunch has been running for almost 15 years now, and I reckon... <sighs> I, I've been hosting for, I think, eight years now, and there's only one time that I can remember where... Someone was, someone tried to do that, and it's always very obvious. You can you can tell because we have so many 
questions in there where it's not necessarily about knowledge. It's about like working something out on the spot. Yeah. And yeah. when teams are like getting all of those 100% spot on and you, know, you can you can figure it out. And then also on top of that, like I was saying, with the regularity of it all, you end up having regulars. Like in, in my pub, yeah. there's, you know, 70, 80 people there every single week. And I would say like 50 to 60 of them come every week or at least every fortnight, right? And sure. so like uh, you you get a pretty good idea of like who's coming to these nights and stuff. And, you know, if someone's winning every single week, then, yeah, maybe there's something f- f- fishy going on. But that just doesn't happen. Like it's, it's stupid. No one in their right mind would, would try and do that. Yeah, exactly. So what happened to Funky Bunch during COVID as, you know, primarily a live events company? Yeah, well, we we got we got put down to zero. We lost 100% of our clients. I mean, the the business works where it's free to play and the idea is that people are having fun, so they'll stay there the whole time and there's like a general party vibe, so everyone's drinking. So that make some money for the pubs and then the, we make our money from the pubs paying for the night. And so when the pubs are forced to shut down, that's, that's our clients. They're all gone. So, so we got down to zero and it was kind of effectively looking like, ah, sorry, but you know, everyone, you've lost your jobs. See you in the Centrelink queue. Uh, but um, I kind of thought, well, I'm just going to be, sitting on my hands you know in my apartment doing absolutely nothing i may as well try and do something productive out of it so Mm -hmm. i sort of pitched an idea of doing it online which i mean sounds really obvious but uh it's it's kind of hard to explain without showing it but the the sort of trivia that we do and the reason why the people like it is because it's not just someone sitting there reading out questions. And so we couldn't really just open up a Zoom room and have some of our hosts read out stuff off a piece of paper. That's just like totally not what we do. And that's not, I don't find that interesting. I would rather just go to the Centrelink queue than (laughs) than do that. (laughs) So we had to try and think of a way to basically put the whole AV show you know bells and whistles music and videos and stuff onto online thing so we just like taught ourselves how to stream and how to use obs and like change the format and like you know did all that kind of stuff on the fly yeah awesome we were running online and uh it was okay uh like it it's online so it doesn't make any money uh if it wasn't for JobKeeper, then you know, it would have been yeah. stupid, but yeah. you know, it it at least gave like I don't know. You, you'd get people sending these messages in because we'd do it. We'd run it every Wednesday night, and you get people saying like, "Oh, you know, this is this is the highlight of my week," and you know, having to sit here inside so miserable, and this is like one, you know, hour or two that we can just sort of like laugh at some stuff and and spend time with our friends and family, and. Mm-hmm. I guess that it being the reward of being like, oh yeah, we're making people's lives better 
was what made it worth doing over lockdown. But um, yeah, to to be a hundred percent black and white about it, if it if it wasn't for JobKeeper, we would not have been uh, functioning. That's for sure. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. To go back a bit, talking about you mentioned how it's very different to sort of consume things compared to creating them in terms of creative arts. You talked about music, for example, and the the one I've had recently is theatre and my relationship to theatre. So I grew up all through high school and university quite into um, performing arts and theatre and bit of singing, bit of dancing, that sort of thing. Yeah, cool. And I, since since graduating, right, did all my theatre basically through university and through uni theatre. And then COVID happened and I did... So COVID was my last year of uni and then my so first year of full-time work, right? So my last year of uni, all my shows got cancelled. Um, literally, you know, when lockdowns happened, had a show cancelled two weeks before opening, that sort of thing, which everyone in the theatre industry is very familiar with yeah. now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the English. idea of... And music industry, right? We're, we're rehearsing for this thing. It's it's in two weeks. Will it still happen? Don't really know. Yeah, we, we've invested like thousands of dollars into it and it's gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I went to a musical that got cancelled. They did they did a preview. It got cancelled They they because of lockdown, a snap lockdown earlier this year. They reopened it. I went on like the 4th of August, went to their first show of their new run. They talked about like like the show finished and the... The lead, you know, after, like, a standing ovation because everyone's so excited to just be back in the theatre. Yeah, 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 yeah. The lead is like, God, it's so great to be back. Thank you all for coming. You know, we only got to do one show last time and then the whole thing got shut down. We're so excited to come back and do the rest of our season and, like, get to get to do this again. And those of you who know dates well will know that on the 5th yeah. of August at about 3.30, <laughs> Dan Andrews said, oh, we're going back into a snap lockdown. It'll only be a week. And then it was, like, two months. So how did you, how did you get your fix then if 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 you couldn't you know mm. do anything online or, or with other people was there a version of doing theater that you could participate in or was that just kind of like the tap shut off for you online theater is really weird and that's good and bad so like the bad versions are really bad because they're just like you know people like trying to stage things like like it's normal and just, like, filming themselves or whatever. Yeah, that sounds awful. That's pretty bad, because yeah. the whole point of theatre is to, like, be in person, you know? If I wanted to watch a film, I'd watch a film. Mm. So that was the other thing people did, was they, they converted their, like, plays into films. I've seen a few of those, and it's, like, kind of cool, but also, like, clearly made by theatre people who, you know, like, the acting's probably good, and the lighting's mediocre, and the cinematography's mediocre, and the sound's pretty bad, is generally the, the way that pans out. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other thing, though, the cool thing that came out of this was theatre shows that embraced being digital. So, like, I did a show and it was it was designed to get people who weren't into theatre but were, like, kind of interested in learning how to make theatre. And it was, it was in 2020, so it was the Olympics. It was the Olympics themed. And the way it worked was, like, the participants, they, like, weren't even really audience, they got put in these teams. We had five teams of about like four or five participants each and they came back twice a week for i think it was like three weeks or something so we did a lot of shows and it was like online so sort of like zoom and it was mostly improvised and so they put them through these events and it'd be like a set design event and then like a lighting design event and a 
you know, like a prop design event and stuff like that. And it, and I was one of the, the coaches. So each team had a coach who were actors playing improvised characters. So we did a whole bunch of improv work leading up to it and all this stuff. We had wacky costumes and we were there to like guide the team, but also wear a character. And we developed, obviously, as, as you do when you improvise, this huge deep lore of how the characters yeah. interacted <laughs> and our backstories, which no one really got to see, right? Because mostly we're there to help the participants. But that was really cool because it, um, like, it really embraced the digital nature. Like, the prop event, right, was was a really good example of the the teams had to, like, we got, we, we came up with this long list of oddly specific props. Like, you know, like a, a well-loved doll and, like, an old man's favourite mug and, you know, th- these, like, kind of weirdly specific things. And as a team, you had to, like, go around your house and find objects that could conceivably fit that, and then you had to present the objects and explain why it fitted. Like, why is this your grandfather's favourite mug? Why is this, you know, like... Yeah, yeah, nice, nice. And we did the same thing with costumes, right? And so embracing that and acknowledging, like, yeah, we're all in different places, but that means you have all this stuff around you, you know? Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's digital theatre, so we can do interactive stuff, so we're going to do a bunch of, like, improv stuff and like we're gonna put you in breakout rooms and this stuff that's much harder to do in in in-person theater was actually really cool yeah that i i guess the best analogy i can think of here having heard you say that is like (laughs) when uh so so like for vegan food for example there's some really delicious and amazing vegan food but when someone tries to make like vegan bacon or like a vegan sausage it's just like no (laughs) that's that's really bad yeah and it's the same deal where it's like if something's made for being online then it's going to be the best that it can possibly be online right whereas if you're trying to just fit something that existed into this new uh paradigm then it's just like a bad version of it yeah for sure for sure it's like I don't want fake bacon. I want a cool vegan dish. I just want something good. Like with yeah. like <laughs> tofu and like beans and stuff. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I also saw one of the other cool shows is, which I did not participate in, but I went to as an audience member was a show that was fully immersive and was in Minecraft. That's off the chain. That's amazing. Yeah. It was super cool. And it was like the, the idea was you were like from the future and exploring this like, digital recreation that they'd recovered and the and you get in and you're like exploring this minecraft world with like some guides right and it was all in discord and they had this huge tech team that would move you around so like obviously the group got split up and you went with different guides so there were multiple paths firstly like i saw this show several times right and there were multiple different paths you could take depending on Mm. what decisions you made in, in the actual show and you got to like interact with the world you could like pick up armor and you could like go ride in boats and you could climb around and jump on things and like all this like actual Minecraft stuff. It was designed to be interactive. Um, and as you were moving around, it was all done through a discord call and the text in the background without you knowing would move you from room to room as you split up. So like you all start in one discord room cause you're all together as this tour group. And then the tour group splits in two. And people in the background, like, would move you into the two different Discord <laughs> channels without you noticing. Yeah. And it felt so seamless to just, like, 
you know, as far as you're concerned, you're just walking along and you split off and suddenly you can't hear the people who went the other way. And it was so cool. That just sounds like a laugh. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm into that. It was really cool and is the sort of thing that wouldn't have happened without lockdown. Because I don't think these people would have thought to make this show. They would have gone on making, like, relatively normal shows. And instead they were in lockdown and they were like, I've had this idea, I'm going to work on this. And I think that's really cool to see things like that that come out of it. Yeah. And, and I'm sure this happens in other industries as well. You know, this is just sort of the area I'm um, acquainted with, I guess. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and I guess it it's the the catch of it all is that no one really wants to sit inside all day and all night. And so yeah, you really need you need these kind of circumstances to force the innovation, I guess. For sure. Yeah. It's kind of interesting to think about. Sometimes I don't know if you had this moment, but it just hits me that we're living through history. Mm. Yeah. Like that realization of this time period is going to be in like history textbooks in 20 years. Yeah, you know something that that plagues me and and keeps me keeps me up at night is do tell. So I uh, like I I I'm fairly uh I I don't know if this is the right word, but idealistic in the sense that like I have what I consider to be a relatively uh, thought out idea of what the I would like the world to be. Sure. And it's definitely not that. It's quite the opposite in a lot of areas. And I sort of sit here thinking, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I like, it, it, my perception is that things are like, obviously, like, lots of stuff is really good in the world. And I'm not saying this as like a, a, a doomer, but... You know, a lot of things are kind of sliding in, in awful ways. And I do think, like, it's it's the same thing as when you read a history book and you think, like, man, all of those people who painted their house with radioactive paint or, you know, were, like, drinking uranium energy drinks or something, they were just, like, real stupid. And, like, I, I, I have this sort of, like... uh mild obsession with trying to figure out how I can make it so that when in like 300 years time people are reading about everything that's happening at the moment they're like wow all of those people were just like greedy self-obsessed <laughs> just dumb asses yeah except for this one guy he uh-huh. <laughs> this guy Mike he 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 didn't agree with what was going on and had to had to sit through it anyway <laughs> right i don't like yeah, yeah. it's it's so ridiculous because obviously like by that time you know you, you don't even individuals are, are gone but you're like einsteins or whatever but yeah i just have this sort of like sense of embarrassment that i wish i could <laughs> explain yeah. myself to all these people that are going to be looking back on this in the future. So I agree with that. I will say that my motivation, I suppose, is less personally motivated. I'm not so worried about, like, people being like, damn, that Ian guy was an idiot. But I do wonder <laughs> what things that we do now will just seem ridiculously outmoded and absurd to people 30 years from now. Yeah, there's, there's got to be so many of them. 
Yeah, I think like technology will be one. Like technology is always going to be one. That's the one that changes the fastest, right? Like the way we use the internet will not be the same in 30 years from now. You and I are currently having a voice call. We'll probably be using holograms or something. I'm not actually saying holograms. I don't know enough about that area. But, you know, like it's not going to be a voice call 30 years from now. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one I reckon will be petrol cars, actually. I think especially with all of the focus on like climate change and stuff, I think 30 years from now, petrol cars won't really like... They'll be on the way out, if not already gone. That's my hot take. Yeah, and and people will look back and think, what a bunch of idiots Yeah, when they could have fixed that. But one of my friends is convinced that that thing is energy drinks. And at some point, people are going to look back and have this knowledge that energy drinks were like the scourge of humanity and <laughs> I, I'm not personally vouching that this is how it's going to be, but I, I do know someone who I've discussed at length with this whole idea of like, yeah, that's going to be the thing that, that people look back on. That's interesting. I could see that. Like, energy drinks are bad for you. They're not good. They have really <laughs> good marketing, though, right? Like, think about how many Monster and Red Bull ads and like how many sponsorships they have with like cool, exciting things. You know, like, mm. so I'm slightly dubious, but I could also see, like, because how long have energy drinks been around? I could see that 10 years from now, we actually have enough data and someone does some sort of longitudinal study that looks at, like, people who drink Red Bulls regularly for 20 years have all developed, like, cancers or heart problems or, like, something that, like, there are tangible long-term health impacts that we didn't realize because they hadn't been around for long enough sort of thing. Yeah, for sure. It's not, it's not outlandish at all. In the same way that, like, smoking, right, when it first came in, like, it takes more than, you know, five, ten years for you to have to be able to be like, oh, this causes cancer, because it's not like a you start smoking and six months later you have cancer, you know? Yeah, smoking smoking used to be so cool, <laughs> and now it's just not. Yeah. I was watching a, a video of some people breaking down special effects in a movie, and, and they were looking at a Bollywood movie, mm-hmm. and apparently there's a, a law in India where if you have someone on screen smoking, you have to put a warning down the bottom, like a little no smoking sign and like a, you know, a a few words to say that it's bad for you or something. Sure. And it, it ended up becoming like a game because the filmmakers obviously don't really consider this and they just sort of like make the story that they want to tell yeah but there might be someone in the background like uh, uh, maybe the characters are at a cafe and just like one of the extras off to the right behind six tables is smoking and so the the warning comes up and you sort of have this game of like oh let's see if we can spot the smoker in 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 this scene (laughs) That's so good. Yeah, yeah, and it made me kind of wish that that we had something like that so that I could I could play that with our movies. So the thing that reminds me of that is sports betting ads and the way at the end they always have to like gamble responsibly. You know, do you have a problem? Call the helpline, and it's always like twenty five seconds of like gambling's the best. You could yeah. you should spend all your money. Looks like Shaq and like um, what's his name. Uh, uh, the American guy who does lad brokes, you know, like they think Mark Wahlberg, like they think it's great. You should bet all your money, and then it's like gamble responsibly. Remember, think of the people you love. If you need help, call this number. It's like, <laughs> like the whip, the whiplash from like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man. Uh, 
I just find it really interesting. So America, on the topic of sports betting, the US has recently legalized sports betting much more widely than it, like, even like three years ago. And it's really interesting to me, having grown up in Australia, where sports betting has been legal for like all my life. Like, I remember being a kid and watching like AFL games and having betting ads in between, you know, between goals or whatever. So to me, it's very normal. Yeah, like when the Melbourne Cup was on, I can remember yeah. primary school teachers like running little class, not with real money, but like, you know, right? like s- sweeps and stuff, matchsticks yeah, right? or whatever. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> like my family been running Melbourne Cup sweeps. I mean, not even the last few years because none of us watch it anymore. My, my brother used to do it, but like definitely when I was a little kid, we'd do that. My, my, I've done footy tipping since I was a little kid, like especially on the grand final and stuff like that. And it's all just like, wait a second. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's interesting seeing Americans come to like normalize this because I don't know. I tend to think of America as um, more accepting of vices than Australia. Yeah, that that actually really astounds me that it wasn't just already a thing because my whole impression of of the US is just like everyone, yeah, in in caught in some like libertarian mm. horror wet dream where you just do do whatever you want to do at all times <laughs> i know i know exactly what you mean yeah and i agree that's also the impression i get of america well we'll see if they can handle the the lad brokes as as well as the aussies do which i'm not sure is is that well but you know that's how it goes yeah i saw Oh God, what was it? I read some horrifying stats on sports betting the other day. It was something like, like during COVID, sports betting increased by like three hundred percent or something. I think this was on Gruen actually, on the ABC, which is a fantastic show if you're interested in marketing. And it was something like that. It was like revenue from sports betting has gone up three hundred percent during COVID, and like the the user base is you know quadrupled or something absurd, you know? Yeah. And terrifying. Yeah, that's it's off the chain. It's it's I, I find it really fascinating because I don't I don't have any personal interest in it. Mm. I I don't mind having a having a punt, having a gamble, but I I prefer to do it when there's like an object or like maybe humiliation or something on the line. To me, to me, that's more fun than just yeah accumulating numbers. Yeah, same. I come from the the combination of background of very into maths and probability and also was a poor student until very recently. So the idea of, like, throwing away money on a negative EV thing was always like, no, why would I, what, no? But I agree with you that when there's something on the line, like uh, the faction champs, yes. champs, champs uh, whichever one it was that um, Dan ran a, a book on, was hilarious because it just it added so much more, like, people giving each other shit and, like, in the top eight, especially when the people who were out were just like more invested because it was like, I put my money on you. You have to win. Oh, that, that was, and just like the arbitrary odds <laughs> that were just yeah. pulled out of nowhere. Oh, that, yeah, that, that was a lot of fun. Actually, speaking of the faction, uh, that, that was the champs, right? I think it was the last invitational. Uh, I had a little, uh, clash with, with Hoodie where mm. he had, staked a beta forest uh yeah pretty pretty good nick as well i mean like not not great but you know uh 
and he was facing off head to head with Gary. Uh-huh. And they were looking outside and they were going to place this bet. And I sort of finished watching someone's game or something like that and I came over to join them and and Hoodie said, "All right, well I'll I'll cut you in on this. If you can guess what we are bidding on, what we're betting on, then you win the thing. <laughs> and so I, I thought long and hard about this. I realized, okay, they've been looking out the window. And so I looked out the window and I saw that that's where everyone was parked. And, you know, bunch of, bunch of magic nerds in, in their dusty old bombs who have come, come down to Phillip Island, except for one. There was one, <laughs> one <laughs> car that shone from the rest of the pack. And that was, of course, Dan's... Uh, shiny yes well not new but you know newly acquired car and it just i don't know something it it hit me and i i knew that they were betting on who owned that car and so Mm. lo and behold won the bet and i ended up getting the 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 beta forest which was that that that's the kind of of punt that that I want to have, where it's just like you put something on the line, like a thing, and come up with some like outlandish scenario in which someone can acquire that thing. Yes, yes, I agree. C- case in point was the uh, in the faction chat when I was at Carwin Cellars and I bought this beer, and it was like a lime ice cream beer delicious like one of the most delicious beers i've had in a long time and i just put up a thing saying i'll free drinks for the entire time we're at carwin if someone can guess what two things this beer tastes like that's that's the kind of (laughs) that's the kind of punt that i want to have uh-huh i think i i think i owe nathan a drink actually from that uh you do he did not correctly guess it but he got the closest so you said you know consolation prize one drink that's right yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love bets like that. They're just kind of dumb. And yeah, for sure. I love, um, and Trendle tells this last, the next time he's on, his story of he owns like eight or ten Arcbound Ravages because they were a GP promo for a while. GP or RPTQ or something. Oh, that's right. Yeah, everyone had ten of them. And every time he'd get one, he, he just offered a flip for it. And he, <laughs> like, he won a bunch of flips in a row and just had like eight or ten of them or something absurd. <laughs> That's just glorious. I, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So as as I suppose this is a good time to mention, welcome to the Faction Podcast about <laughs> 50 minutes in. Sometimes we talk about magic rather than um, whatever we've been talking about. Well, I, I was going to say, speaking of degenerate gambling, mm. magic, magic the gathering, right? <laughs> <laughs> Accurate. Yeah. 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 Definitely. It's, it's funny to look back on, like, things that have changed during the pandemic. And one of them is I started playing Highlander, and I definitely would not have, but for COVID. Because mm. we, we started playing online, and I wouldn't have started playing. Like, I own a Highlander deck in paper now. I own, like, a little bit of a Highlander collection now. And I definitely would never have gotten into it in paper if we hadn't spent many evenings jamming games online. It's certainly swept up a lot of members of, of Faction, for sure. Yeah, it has. And 
part of that, I think, is that it's a community format, if that makes sense. Like, there was a GP in, a, a GP in like, Equits in Las Vegas this weekend just gone by. Or maybe by the time I edit it, it'll be the weekend beforehand. Fingers crossed. Um, <laughs> and there was no coverage of it. And the SCG Stasi Games ran an invitation a couple of weeks ago and also had no coverage of it. And so it feels like organized play, or what's the support for organized play rather, sort of ripped out at the at the low level. It's still like pro tour equivalents, the set championships now, but all that sort of smaller stuff doesn't seem like it's really round. At which point I might as well play a sweet format in Highlander if none of the formats are supported, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, that, that does make sense. And then not to mention, with Highlander, sometimes there is coverage. We, we had great coverage from, uh, from Jimbo for the, the last online tournament the other day. We did, yeah. So there was a tournament on the weekends, another Plenty of Games online tournament. And I think this was a smaller one as well. I think it was only about 20 people. Marathons have been sort of like 30 or 40, I think. Yeah, you can definitely tell that people are ready to start shuffling up in person. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, I know we've been really enjoying playing in person. This one was a bit interesting, though, because it's one of the first events post points update, which we talked about extensively and had extensive arguments about Ragavan last week. (laughs) <laughs> which I think will continue Wonderful. to be an argument yeah. all the time. <laughs> so there's that. And and we talked about how Rug didn't get any points. Yeah, very, very strange. Very strange. Mm. And wouldn't you know it, I think there were three in the top eight? Uh, I think three in the top four. And And my understanding is that the the other deck in the top four was a four color sort of almost rug thing i i don't don't quote mm. me on that one but uh yeah so so of the top top eight real quickly two four color mid-range three rug two brayer breach and one normal breach which i think was also four color so the and you're right the rug decks did all end up in the semifinals they all won their quarterfinals match and we ended up with rug versus rug in the finals yes and also, we should mention, so, Faction's own Nathan Whalen finished in the semis after 5-0-ing the Swiss, and then he lost in the semis. What a champion. Hopefully, we'll have him on next week, actually, so we'll, we won't go into the specifics of his deck. We'll let him brag and yeah. tell us all about his expertise from that deck, because he definitely didn't just net it and copy <laughs> Kyle's list. <laughs> Kyle also finished in ninth on Breakers, I believe. And uh, he, was, he was playing Rug, right? Yeah. He was also playing rug, yes. Yeah. He was playing pre-standard rug. The four-color list, I think Sam Loy was the other one in the top four, or certainly he was by Swiss. I don't remember if he won his quarters, and he was like an ancestral. Four-color, no green, right. all the best interaction, ancestral. Yeah, that's awesome. And then Brennan Crawford was on breach, four-color, so no green. Again, pretty fair deck, and then you just play breach combo because... You know, it's pre-compact. Yep. Surprising that he was playing Breach. Um, Brennan is a well-known Oracle player and has been for years, so interesting to see that. And then the two Brea Breach decks are really interesting. So this is a pair of Toowoomba players. Breach is really big up there in Queensland. Mm. One of the one of the sort of uh, idiosyncrasies of Highlanders, our regional matters. So Breach is really big there. And they came up with 
this deck that is like really heavy on artifacts and also plays Breach and plays Brea, Ethereum Shaper, which is a commander card. It's one of the four color cards. It's, it's like it came out with like Yidris, so it's the non-green one, and it's a four mana four four for one of each color. It's an artifact creature, makes two Thopters when it comes into play, and then it for two sack two artifacts, and then you get to pick one. It either bolts a player or planeswalker. It gives minus four minus four to a creature, or you gain five life. Such a cool card. Lots of fun. It's super cool. Super cool. Anyway, so they played this artifact mid-range deck with with Breach. So notable, no Oracle. Small tournament, right? So you have to remember that. I I don't actually know if there was an Oracle deck in the field. I don't think there was. And that and that genuinely really surprised me. Uh I I sort of came into this tournament thinking that although Oracle copped one point and maybe like, you know, a couple of 20% points mm-hmm. <laughs> here and there, depending on, on which version you were playing. I still had a, have a feeling that that hasn't, it's not enough to really like actually nerf it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I came at, at it with the approach that definitely rug is at the top. I think it's been like what could be described as the best deck for a few years and i i thought okay i'm just gonna like devote almost the entirety of my sideboard to just rug and oracle and Mm -hmm. just approach the tournament that way and it was really successful in my rug matchups i think i played against rug three times and breach twice and my breach matchups were abysmal i was not not prepared for that at all in the slightest yeah yeah i think that's what i expected as well i thought there'd be more oracle i think it is also hard to say and this is i mean this is kind of a feature of highlander right is that we rarely have events with more than 30 people Mm. you know like anything over 30 is like a big event right which means that things like "Eh, no one decided to play oracle today do it does skew the data you know It's, it's it's all small sample sizes so it is interesting to see no Oracle. That's not to say Oracle isn't good, but... Yeah, it's just that no one felt like sleeving it up today. And, I mean, time will tell whether that, that the last pointing has actually, you know, done anything to it. But mm-hmm. I, I think as well, it kind of highlights how, because of this unsolved meta, deck choice actually plays quite a big role into how well you can do in tournaments like this Mm. if you can sort of take something that either people aren't prepared for or something that you know is just proactive enough that you don't really have to worry about whether you're devoting sideboard cards for artifacts or you know whatever then um yeah you can you can do really well yeah for sure for sure I think the Brea decks are definitely the coolest thing to come out of it. A um, little bit of a warning flag, maybe perhaps around the rug dominance, I guess. The Brea decks are really cool, and I think Trent will talk next week about his experiments with non-breach Brea decks. I know he's basically like, cut the breach combo to play other good pointed cards alongside the artifact shell with your fast mana and your Brea and that sort of thing. 
that list is definitely extremely cool. I, I am a mm. big fan of that, and I, I can't wait to hear you guys talk about it. But yeah, I, I kind of feel like, and, you know, this is very speculative thinking, but, you know, don your tinfoil hat. I, I kind of feel like this current iteration of pointings is kind of an experiment at seeing what having a clear best deck does to the format. Because mm. um, I, I, I know a lot of other people share this sentiment because I've had this conversation with, like, almost everyone that I've sat across from recently in that if there was going to be a best deck, then rug is kind of the type of deck that you would want to have as a best deck because it's not doing anything stupidly unfair. You can Mm -hmm. choose to beat it with your sideboard and with your deck choice. And uh, at least while it might be extremely powerful, the games that it creates generally bar, you know, your Ren and Six Wasteland lock combo, which, you know, happens once every hundred games, they're, they're interesting games. They're, everyone gets to make decisions that matter and there's lots of game actions and, you know, it's not just about the order of the top ten cards of, of either player's library. Not there's anything wrong with, with games like that. That's also super cool. But I do kind of feel like there's this idea of like, let, let's, let's see how things shake out if we do have a deck that is just sort of like at the top to define what the rest of the metagame could possibly look like. Yeah, for sure. I think that's the sort of thing that, you know, in theory, we always want like a cyclical metagame, I think is always the the goal right but that's not always possible and you're right that rug is actually a good deck to be the best deck because almost all the games you play against it are interactive there you get decision points you play longish games the only exception i'd say to that is some of the wasteland games are horrific to play but apart from that yeah you're right it's a bunch of back and forth and then playing like creatures and interactive spells much rather that be the best deck than like Storm or Reanimator or Oracle. <laughs> yep. Even Oracle, though, we talked about this last week. I'd rather Oracle be the best deck because then something like Storm or you know some or like like Belcher or something because the Oracle deck is really just a Grixis mid range deck that's choosing to spend its points on like Oracle and, and and like that combo. Yeah. You know, like a lot of the cards are actually interactive fair cards. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I I I guess so. Um, I, I guess maybe what I was thinking more was just the idea of a combo that's difficult to interact with. That's fair. That's okay. So that's a good point. Actually, the Oracle combo itself, problematic. The idea of like, if it was Splinter Twin instead. Oh, then we'd be laughing. In the same show. That'd be really cool. Even like Splinter Twin at a slightly higher power level. You're right that the problem with Oracle is like, kind of doesn't like... It doesn't care about interaction. Yeah, you just can't really do anything about it. And so it's those moments of taking away player agency where I think that is a healthy part of Magic as a component, but when it is either a majority of the games or at least like the definitive correct way to win expensive cardboard, (laughs) 
then eh, it's it's not as fun. Yeah, it's fair. Definitely fair. We've got a handful of events coming up, which is exciting. I know you and I have both been to a couple of fortnightlies at Mays in Fitzroy. I'm planning to go this week to Ringwood, also does a fortnightly on Friday nights, which is good because Ringwood is both closer to me and also Friday night is better for being out a bit late, going to work the next day. Yeah, nice one. Uh, do you know what you're going to play? So I've been tooling around, so I've been playing like a four-color mid-range deck, no black mid-range deck, and I've been tooling around with a slightly lower-to-the-ground version that takes more from Rug, so it's basically like Rug, but with Wild Nakadal and Territorial Kavu and like swords, basically, um, and some cyborg white cards. That's just so awesome. Yeah, it's cool. I think like theoretically swords and prismatic ending give you better removal swords and if you have path i've won the sideboard as well especially against merchide regent is really important yeah to get a leg up in the mirror having answers to merchide regent is pretty good pretty good mm, at the moment that-, that card wins a lot of games very quickly and so if you've got you know your two red blasts and then also a swords and a path or whatever then yeah you kind of got that base covered which is cool it sure does win a lot of games. It's difficult to kill. Kills you really fast. So I'm thinking I'm going to do that. I I haven't decided yet whether I'm going to pull the trigger and play a Tribal Flames. I really would like to. There's also an Underground Sea in there for a Deathrite Shaman. So like theoretically, you can get the full five. And then I'm currently playing a Snapcaster Mage, which not sure about. I do kind of want to snap Tribal Flames someone, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know where I stand on Tribal Flames, which is... Definitely put it in your deck. That's awesome. Mm. Yeah, for sure. I know Kyle and I played four Tribal Flames in Modern for a while, a couple years ago. When the first Modern Horizons came out, we were playing like five color aggro with like trying to cast like Birds of Paradise into Lightning Skelmental and Mantis Rider and just like a bunch of Lightning Helixes, a bunch of Bolts, a bunch of Tribal Flames. Just so I do like that cut. That's glorious. Yeah, so that'll be fun. I know you've been playing more of your four-color Lurus deck. Yeah, I've kind of uh, been scratching the the brew itch a lot recently, coming up with lots of ideas. And yeah, just something about the most recent tournament, I just had this moment of like, ah, no, I, f- I feel like whipping out Old Faithful and uh, giving that a shot. And then it just sort of like reignited my my love for the deck. It just, it's so much fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just love the game style of like slowly incrementally getting control over the board with these little poopers and then while your opponent's frantically top decking and you're sitting there with a handful of six cards just like smacking them in the face with a two-two for a few turns <laughs> to get it done um yep d- obviously you know staring down some of the other decks in highlander it doesn't really make the cut for <laughs> being like a tier one <laughs> deck but i i just love that gameplay i i love the feeling of like i guess winning <laughs> but but not <laughs> not i don't like the it's not the sense of having won to me that's boring as soon as the game finishes I, i'm not playing magic anymore and so i'm not having fun so i want the like experience of being at the advantage to be as like drawn out and lengthy as possible so so if yes. that, if that's done with 
by by closing the game out with a a two one, then so be it. That's how I'm going to play. <laughs> yeah, you enjoy winning, not not having one. So you want to drag out that portion of <laughs> winning as long as possible. <laughs> That's it. And I'll I'll take losing lots to get there. Mm, yeah, yeah. So long as you know, lose quickly, win slowly. Yeah. That's the <laughs> yeah, best way. I mean, that basically sums up every single deck that I think I've ever made. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so we got those coming up, and then there's some bigger events. I know uh, Games Portal in Ringwood have a 1K on the 4th of December, which a few of us, I think, are going to get down to. And then Moxing Day, which I think is now it's now called something else, is after Christmas on the 29th as well. So some big events coming up. And then, of course, you know, Faction Invitational at the end of January, which I'm sure we will all be prepping for because, because $1,000 on the line, that's nice and all, but... You know, faction championship trophies. Yeah, priceless. But there's no price you can put on bragging rights, really, when it comes down to it. Exactly. All right. Well, thanks for coming on, Swanee, and we chatted. Well, we got to magic eventually. Back to the <laughs> back to our roots, really, of talking about completely unrelated things for fifty minutes, completely unplanned. Came in and was like. We'll talk about Highlander for a bit. And then I don't even know how we got on to talking about what we talked about, but there it is. I can, I can barely remember what we talked about now. But yeah, that's that's fantastic. That's what we want. I can't wait to write the description for this episode. And be like, <laughs> Ian, it's when you talk about uh, trivia and COVID and theatre and uh, eventually they talk about magic too. Sick. So thank you for listening. We'll be back next week. Bye, Kyle.